Days after the CDC announced its decision to lift masking for vaccinated Americans, some people are still not willing to let go. Friends, this is hysteria on a national scale. I'll explain why in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line, I'm Buck Sexton. We are finally at that point where the CDC has had to bow to reality and say that yes, vaccines work, they work well enough, that it's irrational for a vaccinated person to continue with all of the restrictions. Now this should seem very obvious, but it took them months to get here, which means a lot of people like me are looking at this and saying, hmm, hold on a second. What changed between then and now? What changed between the vaccine rollout and today? They're telling us that it's the science. Here's Walensky saying it, but we'll address this as soon as we've heard from the CDC chief. We're at a place in this pandemic. Cases have been coming down um, more than a third just in the last two weeks. We have vaccine now across this country, widely available for anyone who wants it. And we now have science that has really just evolved even in the last two weeks that demonstrates that these vaccines are safe, they are effective, they are working in the population just as they did in the clinical trials, that they are working against our variants that we have here circulating in the United States, and that if you were to develop an infection, even if you got vaccinated, that you can't transmit that infection to other people. Everything that she said has been known for months. I know because people that were saying you should allow the vaccinated to unmask were pointing to all of that data and saying, hey, it's really effective, the vaccine. Hey, it would be really helpful for people if they could actually have an incentive to go get vaccinated. It means people would get vaccinated faster. And the pressure built, and finally we got to a point where the CDC had to admit that, okay, this is a judgment call. This isn't the science. It's not the temperature at which water boils. It's not how many degrees it is outside right now. This is a, an issue of balancing competing goods, right? What do you need in society? How much freedom should you have even when there's a pandemic out there? This was always the debate we should have been happening, but weren't allowed to. Big tech shut it down. Many others shut it down as well. Said, listen to the science, peasant. Be quiet and do as you're told. That was the attitude. And there's something else that you're seeing right now. Now that the CDC has come out and said, vaccinated people, you're good. You don't have to, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. It's not medically necessary. That's another way of saying it. Not medically necessary. A lot of vaccinated Democrats, because yes, this is very political, and we knew it, and I said it, and I've been saying it for months, the mask became the MAGA hat of the Biden-Harris campaign. The mask became a symbol of political dominance by the left during a time of extreme anxiety, the pandemic as it played out. Here is the mayor of Chicago, for example, telling everybody, She's vaccinated, by the way, and she plans to continue masking up just because. Mayor, this is good news. You say you will follow the CDC's guidance. What does that mean? Should people in Chicago wear masks or not? Well, I think we've got to get some clarification from the CDC. Um, the rollout, obviously, as the reporting has been, was a bit abrupt. Um, and I think they've got a lot of clarification that they need to do. Um, I know for me personally, I'm going to continue to wear a mask in public and I'm going to encourage others to do so. Um, we've got to make sure 
uh, that people are continuing to follow the public health guidance that has gotten us this far. And masks, I think, are a big and important part of that. She's going to listen to the CDC guidance by not listening to the CDC. She's going to keep wearing a mask. Why? She's vaccinated. She doesn't understand that that is what the CDC now says. There's no, oh, you're going to mask anyway as some kind of a symbol. Notice also how the left, when they don't have the force of the state anymore, they go with the, we need clarification talking point. Uh, This isn't hard. If you're vaccinated, take off the damn mask and throw it out. It's not hard. It's not challenging. Oh, I know on airplanes, there are some places where you need it. Okay, well, then you can go get a mask for that. But the point is you shouldn't be walking around indoors or outdoors as a vaccinated person with a mask on anymore. And that's where we're going to see a whole lot of problems because the leftists across the country view the mask as a security blanket emotionally. They view the mask as a necessary symbol of their political tribalism, which is why they're actually telling you this now. They're saying things like, oh, I used to view people without a mask as a conservative or as the enemy. Rachel Maddow at MSNBC said as much recently, people who have big followings on the left are coming clean with, yeah, the mask was a political thing for me, actually. That's why I'm going to keep doing it. Ah, so now we know exactly what I was telling you all along is true. And yet what are retailers going to do? You have a number of them that have come out saying that they will lift mask mandates. Here you go. You've got Walmart, Target, Costco, Trader Joe's. So you, if your locality or state no longer requires it, masks are optional in these places. Now, what you're going to see here is an appeal to, hey, let's all be respectful of each other. Let's all, masks should have been optional all along. See, this, the problem is that the lockdowners wanted it their way as long as they could, wanted to jam that cloth mask down your throat, even if you're just passing by, even if it made no sense. Oh, mask up when you walk into the restaurant, but not when you sit down eating. Even through things that are completely epidemiologically unsupportable. They said, do it or else. Now it's, oh, let's all be nice to each other and let some people, no, 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 no. I think states should pass anti-masking laws. It's a public health risk, sorry. Need to be able to see your face. Need to see who you are. It's a public safety issue, actually. No more masks outside. And businesses should say, no more masks inside. They should also take the position that they will follow the CDC guidance right away. Some of them won't do it, though. You'll see who the left-wing woke corporations are very quickly here as this all plays out. Governor Cuomo in New York, finally, it seems, bending the knee to reality a little bit here. Effective this Wednesday, New York State will adopt the CDC's new uh, new mask and social distancing guidance for vaccinated people. Unvaccinated people should continue to wear a mask. Masks will still be required on public transit in schools and some communal settings. Private venues may require masks. Uh, Well, I'm just going to tell you this right now. Any private venue that tries to require a mask of a vaccinated person, you should make a big deal of it. Because then they're just choosing to be annoying jerks. You should say, I'm sorry. Do Do you know more? Private venue, do you know more than the CDC? Because all along we were told by these businesses, especially big national corporations, we're going to listen to the CDC. Now you don't listen to it. Why is it? You should raise a stink at any business you go to as a vaccinated person who wants you to wear a mask. You should say, "Uh, I'm not going to give you my business anymore. Why are you acting like lunatics? Why can't you follow the federal guidance? Make it a problem for them right away. I'm sorry, this is what has to happen because we've all been traumatized 
by the neurotic loons that have wanted this all along, and now they're finally losing their grip on your face, and they want to say, oh, but just be gentle with this. Let us have a little more time. No, no, no. We're done. It's over. Get a grip, libs, and not on people's faces who aren't you. Get a grip on something else. And then, of course, there's the uh, continuation of this in other ways. Um, you're going to see pushes for vaccine passports. You're going to see a push to continue this debate. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't think they're going to try to bring masking back in the wintertime, you're not paying attention. Speaking of COVID-19 data and where we really are in the lockdowns, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was accused by a whistleblower, they said, last year of manipulating data to make his state's response to the pandemic seem much better than it actually was and push for opening as a result. But surprise, the story was total BS. After the break, senior writer at National Review, Charles Cook, is going to join us to talk about this expose of Rebecca Jones, the whistleblower who wasn't. Stay with us for that. I've been telling you for a while now about online thieves who can easily steal your home's title, but you don't have to take my word for it. Take it from this thief who stole over 150 homes and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. This is why you need home title lock. Nobody thinks that I can take their house and borrow against the house. Oh, no, I have title insurance for that. No, it's, it's in my name, or he would have to get some special document. They would call me. You know, nobody's calling you. After I've stolen the title, borrowed against it, or sold the property, or done whatever I've done with it, it's 60 to 90 days to even figure out that, that they're the victim of this crime. You know, by that point, you start getting foreclosure notices, and you realize you've got four mortgages on your house. Not only that, you don't even own your home anymore. It's not even in your name. Heard enough? Don't let this crime happen to you. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and enter radio for 30 free days of protection. That's code radio at HomeTitleLock.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Do you remember the name Rebecca Jones? Well, during the height of the pandemic, the former dashboard manager at the Florida Department of Health made explosive claims that she was pressured by Governor Ron DeSantis to alter the state's COVID data in order to push for reopening. Well, new reports about the media darling suggest she, well, completely made up her allegations. In his latest piece, National Review senior writer Charles Cook concluded that Jones single-handedly managed to convince millions of Americans that Governor Ron DeSantis has been fudging the state's COVID-19 data. That's quite a big charge, quite an important thing to get to the bottom of. We've got Charles Cook now joining us to talk about his findings. Charles, good to see you. Thank you for having me. 
So in your piece at nationalreview.com, you outlined Rebecca Jones's history of a highly shady behavior. You poked holes at her allegations. Just give us the, the backstory here for anybody watching of both why this is important that everyone know and what happened. Well, you probably noticed this if you've engaged at all online with the question of which states have done well and which states have done poorly throughout COVID. It's a bit of a problem for the people who said lockdowns were the only way that Florida, which has an elderly population, is 27th out of 50 in terms of deaths. Um, and uh, the way that the people who didn't believe that was possible have got around it, it seems, is to have fixated upon this idea that Florida has been fudging its numbers. So I had a look into this, and this conspiracy theory, and that's what it is, came from one place and one place alone. It came from Rebecca Jones, who is a dashboard manager, not an epidemiologist, not a scientist, not a data analyst, who worked for the Florida Department of Health last year, who was fired, um, not because she refused to uh, fudge the numbers, as she now claims, but because she behaved terribly, as she seems to wherever she goes. Um, and it was picked up. It's been picked up all around the country, as millions of people believe it. It's been spread by Nikki Freed, who's running for governor, by Charlie Crist, who's running for governor, both in Florida, by Joy Reid, by Rachel Maddow, by Chris Cuomo at CNN. Uh, it's it's become essentially um, a fact in the minds of many people. And the problem is it's, uh, it's not one. Amazing as well, Charles, that this is essentially what Governor Cuomo in New York was guilty of doing. And he was a hero to many of these Democrats and pundits and people you, you're pointing out. Whereas there's no, no evidence whatsoever to support these charges against DeSantis other than uh, what's going on here with Rebecca Jones. Just have everyone understand, how, how is it that you know, what, what are the primary data points, so to speak, in this case where it's clear that she is just making stuff up and that this was all essentially a fraud? Look, th this is, of course, not a political question. I think many of the people who've interacted with this have treated it as one. But this is a question of, uh, of data, of, of science. It's falsifiable. It is an objective question. And the claims that she has made are objective claims. Um, and she has made, for example, the claim that Dr. Shamariel Robeson, who's the Deputy Secretary of Health in Florida, is a chronic epidemiologist, told her to fudge the raw numbers. Now, th that seems highly unlikely in and of itself, not least because Jones didn't claim this for quite a while after she was fired. Uh, but it's also impossible. And Rebecca Jones, as I say, she's not an epidemiologist. She's not a scientist. She was not involved in any of that work. She was in charge of the dashboard, the website that the state put up. She did not have access to the raw data. Almost nobody does for, for various reasons, some of which have to do with privacy, some of which have to do with expertise. Only a handful of people can touch the raw data. She was nowhere near being one of them. Uh, she was given every day a copy of the data uh, in Excel format, it seems usually. Um, and she put that into her dashboard according to the instructions of the epidemiologist, the people who knew what they were doing. The idea that she could have gone into the Florida Merlin database and made changes to that core information is absolutely absurd the moment you look into it. 
Um, now you say, well, how do I know this? I know this because I did what very few people other than myself have done. And I looked at publicly available information. You know, I didn't need to hide in a, a garage talking to witnesses. Uh, I just looked at the publicly available information. It's all there online. Her personnel file is there online. The details of her firing are there online. What she did at the company, uh, the, the, the agency, I should say, uh, is, is there online. There is no scandal here. <laughs> what is she being criminally charged for, Charles? As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Well, this is the other part of her deception. Um, she has been charged with accessing state computer systems illegally and not just accessing them, but downloading the information of 19,000 state employees, the private information of 19,000 state employees. Uh, the government in Florida tracked, with the help of Comcast, that data breach to the IPv6 address uh, that Comcast had assigned her home. Um, this search warrant was signed. It was subsequently upheld. The arrest warrant was signed um, by a judge. Uh, and they went to her home and they took what they needed, which was her computer information. And she subsequently claimed this was revenge for her whistleblowing. Uh, she claimed that uh, this was Ron DeSantis's doing. She claimed that the police used Gestapo-like tactics. But none of that holds up either. Uh, at least it hasn't since the Florida Department of Law Enforcement released the I mean, body cam footage. I, I, we're actually and looking at the body cam footage on screen right now. Um, they seem to be quite polite and gentle with her. Well, they waited at the door for 22 minutes. They didn't knock it down. They encouraged her over and over again to come to the door so that her children wouldn't have to be involved. They called her repeatedly. Uh, she set a video running while this was happening uh, in front of a sign that said, Biden, hire me. Um, and she started saying things on the, on the, on the camera, such as that... Uh, the police had pointed guns at her children. She subsequently wrote a Miami uh, Herald op-ed in which she made that claim. But all the papers in Florida had to retract the claim afterwards when the body cam footage was released because you can see that it didn't happen. Charles, ultimately it seems like this is just another person that the media held up in order to justify not only the lockdown narrative, but to attack Ron DeSantis, which I think was central to the reason why this was so appealing to major media outlets. Have you seen a lot of updates uh, and or corrections to the story from places like NPR and Miami Herald and CNN and others who were very, MSNBC, who were very happy to run with the story when it was a pretty heinous allegation against Governor Ron DeSantis? So I, I haven't seen any of those, although MSNBC invited me on this morning, uh, on Morning Joe, and gave me 20 minutes. Um, so good for them. Uh, I've seen a lot of mainstream journalists sharing my piece, which I was pleased about. Uh, you know, one of the things I point out in the piece is that if this were a real story, we'd know it. 
because it would have been featured prominently in the Washington Post and the New York Times. That would be a devastating expose of Florida. The person who wrote it would get a Pulitzer. Um, The local newspapers would be all over it. Um, They weren't. What they did is they invited her on or they casually promoted her claims. And I hope that now that the record has been corrected, they will stop. Charles Cook of National Review. My friend, good to see you again and, and excellent work here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. The University of California just announced it will no longer be considering standardized test scores, including the SATs, in its admissions process. Why? Well, standardized testing, they say, is racist. We'll break it down in the latest woke madness on campus in tonight's Buck Brief. I want you all to go to this website right now, preparewiththefirst.com. It's a special website set up by our friends at My Patriot Supply. Every day it seems like things are just getting worse and more unstable out there. The best way to have some peace of mind is to stockpile emergency food and water. My Patriot Supply is America's leading preparedness company and they're here to help you become self-reliant, no matter what happens next. But you can't wait for something bad to happen, then react. You need to act now before we see a stock market crash, hyperinflation, civil unrest, or a natural disaster. My Patriot Supply has been in business for over a dozen years, serving millions of families and earning 39,000 four and five star reviews. Their food is specially packaged to stay fresh for up to 25 years. So when you prepare today, it'll be there for you when you need it. Right now, save $50 on their four week emergency food kit at preparewiththefirst.com. The meals are delicious and provide 2,000 calories per day. No other brand comes close. That's preparewiththefirst.com, preparewiththefirst.com. The University of California system, long a bastion of wokeness and far-left politics, has agreed to no longer consider standardized test scores like the SATs and the ACTs in its admissions process. The announcement comes after a judge issued an injunction last fall that prevented the scores from being considered even when they were submitted voluntarily. The announcement is a victory for activists who have long claimed that standardized tests discriminate against minority and low-income students. So is this a victory for minority students or is this more woke nonsense? We'll take a closer look at what's really going on here in the Buck Brief. Important background here, years ago, the University of California system got rid of affirmative action preferences in the university system, including for very elite schools like Berkeley and UCLA. So no more affirmative action was allowed based on state law in California. This stretches back now a couple of decades and the system continued to thrive and be very elite at the top end. There was some displacement of minorities from the top schools down a little bit, a percentage point or two among the Latino and black community attending those schools. But there was also an increase in some of the more mid-tier California schools from those communities and higher graduation rates among those communities. So there was an effect, but it wasn't the dire situation that activists initially said it would be. Fast forward to today. Now we're at a point where getting rid of standardized testing, instead of getting rid of affirmative action, the activists want to get rid of standardized testing 
entirely, and they are now successful in this effort. The University of California, according to the New York Times today, will not take SAT or ACT scores uh, for admission or scholarship decisions for its system of 10 schools, which includes some of the nation's most sought-after campuses. This is in accordance with a lawsuit brought by some students. Okay. How are they going to make determinations about academic merit at schools that have 10 to 15% admission rates, for example? H how do you know? Is, is everyone just going to be judged on what? The basis of letter grades? Because different schools have very different standards for giving those grades. Those grades are largely subjective in the first place and also entirely uh, relative to the actual institution that is awarding them. So the standardized testing is supposed to give a real sense of someone's academic ability. It doesn't determine their worth as a person. It doesn't develop, it doesn't determine their intelligence, but it does give a pretty good, and all the, all the actual studies show this, a pretty good sense of academic preparedness and ability to succeed in highly competitive academic environments. So now California has gotten rid of this and you have to ask, well, what are they going to do now? How do they replace this in their system? How do they actually come up with admissions criteria? Ah, this is going to be holistic, which is really just activists speak for reinstituting quotas, but not calling them quotas. We're going to take X amount of this ethnic group, Y amount of that ethnic group, and that will be the way they, they constitute these classes at the elite end of the California system. That's going to be the approach. They want to have as much subjectivity as possible to engage in left-wing social engineering. And then they're going to tell us, oh, well, these schools, it's not like we're bringing down the academic level. Bull. They absolutely will change the academic level of these institutions by bringing down the skill set of some of the admitted students that they bring in. This is going, this is, by the way, not just about whether it's minority students or anything else. This is going to affect people that try to use a whole number of different ways to get into schools. You know, it used to be if you were a legacy or you recruited athlete, but you had really low SATs, maybe you wouldn't get it. Now the admissions office let in anybody they want. Oh, I don't know. You know, his, uh, his dad's a rich guy, so we're going to let him in even though he couldn't break, a, you know, 900 on the SAT. Doesn't matter, right? There, the meritocracy is under assault here. That is central to the left-wing vision and it gives them greater control and the ability to engage in all kinds of social and social justice engineering. You see this across schools, not even just in the admissions process. You know, this was over the week in New York Post headline, Penn State will replace sexist and classist words like freshman. That's right, you can't say freshman anymore. You gotta say first year, I think. That's at least my alma mater, the way they make this all happen now. Uh, these places have become beyond, they're beyond parody. They've become uh, really just funhouse mirror images of themselves where nothing really makes sense and everything is distorted. Penn State is going to replace pronouns such as he, him, hers with they, them, theirs. No more freshmen and sophomore, first year and second year, underclassmen and upperclassmen with lower division and upper division. Because this is really going to help us in our, our global struggle for, uh, for supremacy as the biggest, best wealthiest nation in the world, right? This is really going to help America be competitive with jobs and everything else, beating other countries. Oh, sure. Yeah, this really brings about the next generation of, of leaders and thinkers by getting rid of 
pronouns. You could say, well, what difference does it make? It makes a lot of difference, actually. This is indoctrination through word choice, and that's why they're doing They don't get to, to focus on things and then turn around and say, why are you focusing on that thing? Why does it matter? Because they've determined that it mattered by changing it. All right, the conflict between Israel and Hamas is now entering its second week with no signs of slowing down, really. After the break, Jonathan Shanzer of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies will give us an update on the situation. We've seen an ongoing barrage of rockets and airstrikes as the fighting between Israel and Hamas intensified over the weekend. With the crisis now entering week two, there seems to be no sign of a ceasefire, at least not yet. Here with Reaction, Jonathan Shanzer, Senior Vice President for Research at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Jonathan, good to see you. Good to see you. So we have thousands of rockets fired from Gaza into civilian Israeli territory. Just as I'm speaking to you now, where does the conflict stand? What do we need to know about what's happened in the last week or so? Well, uh, basically, Hamas, out of the Gaza Strip with Iranian support and backing, decided that they wanted to make a stand uh, after a property dispute in Jerusalem that really had nothing to do with Gaza at all. Hamas decided to start firing rockets into Jerusalem. The Israelis predictably responded. Uh, and what's happened since is that Hamas has launched a full-on rocket war. They've fired more than 3,000 rockets into Israeli airspace. The Israelis have knocked down uh, the vast majority of those through the Iron Dome missile defense system. This is, of course, a system developed with help from the United States. And in fact, the U.S. Army has actually just picked up a couple of batteries of it. Uh, at any rate, we've seen some real success there. It's protected Israelis, uh, but that doesn't mean that the Israelis were happy about what's happened. So they have responded, as most militaries in the world would, uh, and they have taken out a, an underground tunnel system that was designed um, to help Hamas carry out commando attacks against Israel. The Israelis have taken out rocket uh, production facilities, rocket storage facilities, about 10 different commanders. Uh, but I think right now they're, they're sort of at a stalemate. I think both sides would like to be able to declare full victory. Uh, I think Israel's gotten the best of Hamas, but I still think Hamas has many more rockets to fire. They've got about 30,000 in their arsenal at the beginning of this uh, conflict. Maybe it's down to 20,000 now. Um, that means they could go on for a while if they wanted to. Now, over the weekend, there was a lot of attention on the uh, Israeli strike against a building in Gaza that was known to house journalists from the Associated Press, their offices, I should say, uh, journalists from the Associated Press and Al Jazeera. We actually have footage people can see here of the building going down after the strike, the whole thing. Uh, there's a lot of people pointing to this, Jonathan, and fighting over whether this was a, a strike that was warranted or not. What can you tell us about this? And also, the AP claims that they didn't know Hamas was in the building, which I think was interesting to folks, considering they had been there for 15 years. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that I would note is that we have seen these sorts of reports about Al Jazeera lots of times in the past. You probably recall there was a similar flap that took place during the uh, Iraq war where U.S. Uh, servicemen were allegedly being targeted or being surveilled 
Uh, you got to remember that Al, that Al Jazeera is owned entirely by the Qatari government. The Qatari government is a sponsor of Hamas. They're also a sponsor of Al Qaeda, the Taliban. It's it's a rogues gallery over there uh, in Doha. As for the evidence. Uh, I think the Israelis have quietly shared that with the Biden administration. Initially, I was hearing from my sources that the Biden administration was very unhappy about the downing of this building, but that after the Israelis presented the evidence, we have seen a very muted response from the Biden administration. That would seem to indicate that it was solid intelligence, and I would expect nothing less from the Israelis who have a very professional military and don't just go around knocking down buildings without cause. And so the justification for hitting this particular uh, building was that it was a place where Hamas was gathering or was there active militancy, meaning firing of rockets or, or preparations, distribution thereof? My understanding was that this was a military intelligence structure for Hamas. Uh, how many operatives or uh, intelligence officers were running out of this building, I don't know. What we do know is in the past uh, that people that have worked for AP have noted that there have been rocket firings near the building. That, of course, doesn't mean that it was being used deliberately um, uh, by Hamas, but probably at least using the building as cover, um, as we would call it, for human shields so that the Israelis wouldn't fire back what the Israelis do in these sorts of cases, though, when they've identified a target they want to destroy, they send cell phone messages to everyone in the building. They uh, they drop what's called a knock-knock bomb, which basically gives everyone in the building a sense of what is soon to come. They clear out the building and then they take it down. Thankfully, there were no uh, deaths associated with this, at least that I've heard of. Uh, but of course, the AP, Al Jazeera and others are still uh, very unhappy about the fact that the entire edifice was destroyed. Now, bringing it back to U.S. politics and, and the view from here of what's going on over there, you mentioned the Biden administration's response on this, uh, this one building being, uh, being targeted in this way. Here's a tweet from Bernie Sanders, and we could pick a lot of them, obviously, from U.S. politicians. The devastation in Gaza is unconscionable. We must urge an immediate ceasefire. The killing of Palestinians and Israelis must end. We must also take a hard look at nearly $4 billion in military aid to Israel. It is illegal for U.S. aid to support human rights violations. Uh, the, there's a lot of this with the Democrat Party right now we're seeing from people who hold high office in this country saying let's cut off military funding to Israel from the U.S. What's going on here? Well, I, I think this is par for the course for people like Bernie Sanders. I don't think it represents the center of the Democratic Party, certainly not the center of American politics, where I think support for Israel still remains remarkably strong. Um, I do think that uh, the Biden administration has decided to provide Israel with some cover. Uh, he is really pushing back against the progressives right now, and I think he deserves some credit for it. Although I have to say, there is, a, I think, maybe a little bit of self-interest here on two points. Number one is that if he allows the Israelis to go forward and really destroy a lot of that Hamas infrastructure, it's likely that there won't be another war like this again during his time in office, and that is probably what he's looking at and hoping for. The other thing is, if you think it's tense right now, just wait till the Israelis uh, respond to the United States entering into that Iran nuclear deal, where billions of dollars are going to flow to the Iranians, who are then in turn going to forward on that cash to Hamas. 
This is a patron-client relationship that we've known about for some time, and the United States will effectively, after entering into this nuclear deal, could be in a few weeks, could be in a few months, but after entering into the deal, they will be uh, they will be funding both sides of this conflict. And if Bernie Sanders is worried about the United uh, the United States funding Israel. He really should take a close look at how those funds that are going to go to Iran, how they will be used to finance terrorism. That is that goes without question. The White House press secretary weighed in on the issue today. Jonathan, I wanted to have you react. Here's what Jen Psaki had to say. Our message is um, sometimes you have to step back from politics for a moment. It's not easy to do. And we recognize and agree that watching the lives lost of these Palestinian children, of these families, the fear you see in the eyes of the Israeli people, it is heartbreaking. We want to bring an end to the violence. We want to de-escalate the situation on the ground. The role we feel we can do that through, the, the most effective way we feel we can do that is through quiet and intensive diplomacy. How is the Biden administration handling this, Jonathan? Look, again, I, they provided some top cover for the Israelis at the UN. That's helpful. They, they scuttled a uh, what would have been a very uh, anti-Israel statement coming out of the Security Council. That's a positive. They're not hammering the Israelis for doing what any country in the world would do, which is to protect their, their uh, population from um, you know, these you know, uh, saturation bombing attempts by Hamas. And we're very lucky that Iron Dome is intercepting a lot of them. They have the, the, the Biden administration has sent their deputy assistant secretary of state, Hadi Amr, to the region. He is not senior enough to get anything done. I think he's having some quiet conversations here and there, uh, but I don't see him accomplishing much. I think the administration, probably more than anything, would like not to get mired in the Middle East. They'd like to stay away from that as much as possible. You have that ever-present attempt to pivot to Asia or to start dealing with more great power competition issues. And if you're going to be really honest about it, Gaza just really doesn't make the cut. And I think any sane administration would let the Israelis do what they're doing, try to, mit to, to mitigate Hamas as much as possible, erode their capabilities. And like I said, with any luck, the administration won't have to deal with this again for another bunch of years. Jonathan Shanzer, thanks so much. Appreciate your insights. Pleasure. As thousands of elderly New Yorkers were dying in part due to really bad policies that the governor put in place, Cuomo was raking in big bucks for his book on leadership. Today, we're learning just how much. That story and more in Quick Hits. Stay right there. We're living in very uncertain times and being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in today is anything but predictable. The government is passing massive spending bills. The Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars in fiat currency. And many experts are predicting inflation could run rampant in the coming months. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account. We could all benefit from something a little more reliable right about now. What could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group right now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is set to earn more than $5 million for writing a book, patting himself on the back for his COVID response, yes, I'm serious, and the military removes a Space Force commanding officer for speaking out against critical race theory. That's in quick hits, that is now, let's get right to it. 
Who is the worst governor in America when it comes to their COVID response? You could throw Governor Whitmer out there for sure of Michigan. Certainly Governor Newsom, who faces a recall now because of how awful he has been. The best governor, Ron DeSantis. We all know that, though. Congrats, Ron. Do a little victory dance. But Governor Cuomo is certainly in the top three worst. And yet, $5 million for writing a book on his pandemic leadership, my friends. This is how the system, this is how the Democrat apparatus takes care of its own. This is the way that corporate interests launder money to politicians by wildly and intentionally overpaying. No one bought this stupid book. Nobody gives a crap what Cuomo thinks about his leadership. And yet, why would they give him all this money? Because he's the governor of New York and he's a prominent, powerful Democrat. He may become president one day. Who knows what's going to happen, right? So you funnel this guy money. And remember, they made the deal when he was still Mr. Pandemic Hero. So they're trying to cozy up to this guy. People are even talking about him as a 2020 presidential possibility. Last minute entry, remember that? Then it turned out that he was a creepy weirdo who made his female staffers very uncomfortable. Oh, and lied about a whole lot of nursing home deaths going on on his watch after he gave a disastrous order for nursing homes to be forced to take back COVID positive senior citizens from the hospital prematurely. Yeah. And speaking of New York, I know we, we do, I'm here in New York. We do a lot of New York trashing here because we got to. Uh, but I know that for the rest of the country, perhaps you see New York as a canary in the coal mine for what leftism can actually do when it runs everything. De Blasio, though, saying that he disagrees with the recent decision of the organizers of the Pride Parade, the Gay Pride Parade, now the LGBT, LGBTQ plus parade in New York City, banning LGBTQ plus cops from being a part of the Pride Parade, even de Blasio says, not good, not the right decision. I fully appreciate the extraordinary history of Pride in this city. I think that decision's a mistake. First of all, we have to keep people safe, and it's been an incredibly safe, positive event, and we have to be mindful of continuing that. Second of all, you know, I believe in inclusion. And we're talking about one of the issues is officers who are members of the LGBT community wanting to march and express their pride and their solidarity to the community and their desire to keep changing the NYPD and changing the city. Yeah. De Blasio gets it right on this, which is tough to say out loud, but he does. Then there's, uh, getting it wrong, the United States military. Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer was relieved of duty for comments about Marxism. Here he is. That's Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer. Marxism and CRT in the military. This guy was on Space Force. He was fired from his job there for speaking out against Marxism in the military. Now, there are prohibitions on military service members engaging in partisan political activity at some level, but... Are those really enforced very strictly? And let's look at that. And then also, isn't Marxism bad? Doesn't the United States military that still has a whole lot of, uh, of overhang, if you will, from the days of fighting against the Soviet Union and being opposed to the evil empire, uh, doesn't the United States military also oppose Marxism? Which is contrary to 
constitutional and basic American values? Isn't that something that we could all agree? These days, I don't know if we could all agree on it, a lot of far left stuff going on in the military, but fortunately there are some folks on the right in elected office and of course here in media who are taking up the cause of Mr. Lohmeyer and saying, uh, hold on a second guys, what's really going on here? You got Representative Andy Biggs, our military should be preparing to win battles, not be brainwashed with Marxist ideals. This man is a hero. We got Dan Crenshaw, we need to be preparing our warriors to fight and win battles, not how to be social justice warriors. Far left critical race theories taught while speaking out against Marxism. Share this, don't let the story slip away. Yet we all know that there's a double standard at work here where you can be as far left as you want in the military and that seems to be fine. But if you criticize Marxism in the ranks, you get fired. It's not good, folks. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly up next. Shields high.